Good morning. You guys got all quiet real quick here. Hey, I wanted to thank you all for coming out today. We have a saying here that you're only a visitor here once, and we're, we're just glad to hear that, glad that you're here and hope you feel at home here, right? We're, I probably won't remember your name or anything like that after this, this first time, but uh, we'd love to see you back, and, and like I said, we're just glad you're here. I have a couple announcements to go over. If you would, take out your worship bulletin. And uh, I just want to point out a couple things. If you know Pastor Brad and you were planning to go to his surprise birthday party, it's been canceled. So just so you know about that. Also, um, Abigail has dropped off some bottles for us. We love to partner with different ministries in the community. And one of the ones that we love to work with is Abigail Ministry. Um, I don't think we can call ourselves pro-life if we are not willing to assist moms who make that decision to keep their, their children. We want to be there for them as a church, as a people, and we want to do everything that we can. So we'd love to raise money for Abigail. If you would, if you're willing to, if you're a member here today, if you're a visitor, you can ignore me, but if you're a member here today, I would love for you to pick up one of these baby bottles that are outside on your way out and then just fill it up with change and bring it back. We'll give you a month to do that. And then we will drop all that money off to Abigail and help them out. All right. So think about that. Pray about that. Uh, you want to come up and talk about VBS? You are better. Okay. <laughs> Excited about it. It's going to be a good thing. So just pray about it. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Happy 
Can I echo what, what she said? Um, can we really be praying for this ministry and what's going to happen and what God's going to do through this ministry this week? Every, every day, if you would just join us in prayer right around 630 and just pray for that, whether you're out there or whether you're at home or whatever you're doing, let's just lift it up in prayer and ask God to bless it. All right? All right. Would you stand with me? Let's pray for the service. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the ability to gather in your name. Father, I pray that our attention would be turned to you and that we would give you all honor and glory, for you alone are worthy of that. Lord, I pray that no matter what anybody is going on or going through in here, that they would just be able to focus in on you and entrust whatever they're dealing with to you. Lord, I pray for every other church in this town or in this nation that, that calls you Lord, that preaches Jesus as Lord. Father, I pray that you would light them on fire during this time, that you would wake them up, that you would let them shine brightly in this dark world. Father, we want to be unified with our brothers and sisters. We don't want to fight over little things that don't really matter. Lord, we want to see those churches glorified, Lord, and we want to see those churches point to you like we do. Father, we just ask you to enable us to do that. Lord, I pray that you'd be with the praise and worship team, help everything to run smoothly, Lord. And I pray that you would just speak through the words that they sing, through the music that they play. Father, we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Today, and we won't be quiet. 
King of heaven, my King forever. 
been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God Well, today we are kicking off our introduction to Revelation, our Revelation series. We have been talking about doing this for quite some time, and I'm excited. Anybody excited to start Revelation? Anybody thinking, oh my goodness, why in the world are we doing this book? Because it's nothing but crazy. Nobody? All right, I was kind of thinking that a little bit, but I'm excited, to, I'm, I'm excited and nervous to dig into this, but I know that God is going to speak to us through his word. He, that's what he does right? He always speaks through us, through his word. So we are going to be in Revelation 1, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 and going only through verse 5. Revelation 1, 
1 through 5. Now, let me just put something out there. We are not looking at Revelation today because I think there's something happening right now. And I was like, man, uh, we need to study Revelations because of this sign or that sign. Or uh, you will not hear me say that I think the world is coming to an end and that Jesus is coming back in a month or a year or anything like that. I will not put any kind of time frame on there. I have heard that in the church way too much, to be honest with you. And if somebody preaches that and teaches that, you need to call them on that. All right? Call them on that. Since I've been alive, I can't tell you how many times um, that I've heard that message that he's coming back in a year and it hasn't happened. And, and frankly, I think that kind of diminishes the gospel. It's the wrong focus, and we need to just be careful of that. I don't know how many times I've heard speculation on who the Antichrist is. All right? I've heard it for Obama. I've heard it for Trump. I've heard it for just about every American president in here that if you add up the, the uh, letters in their name, you can somehow get to 666. <laughs> I'm not going there. I've heard about monster drinks. Um, and the symbolism on that, I've heard about a lot of it. The point of the book of Revelation is about comfort and hope, right? And, in, and I'm going to explain exactly why that is, and it will be crystal clear. It is also, though, about instilling a boldness in us as followers of Christ, all right? For 2,000 years, the purpose of this book has been to inject courage into the lives of the people of God. Is that what we have today? No. I don't think it is for a lot of us. We kind of freak out nowadays about everything with social media. People spread every kind of rumor that there is. And people are like, oh no, oh no, what's going on? People are, are, for example, worried that the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast. I've been through RFID chips, I've been through microchips, barcodes, tattoos, LED watches, all being said that they were the mark of the beast. And maybe some of you think that the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast, all right? It's not. I'll give you an example of what the mark of the beast is in this a little bit later. I'm not telling you to get the COVID vaccine. I'm telling you to not get the COVID vaccine. All I'm telling you is it is not the mark of the beast. You will clearly know what the mark of the beast is. All right. Well, what are we doing? I hope that by studying Revelation that it fills us, like I said, with that boldness that, that our country, that our world needs. I hope it fills us with courage. I hope we start fighting the real enemy and not these false enemies that I think we are focusing in on. And Revelation sets the stage to do that. We were not given a spirit of fear. Amen? We aren't worried about what's going on and thinking that we need to hide away, right? No, man. A lot of Christians just want to pull back during this time. They feel what's going on. They feel the groanings. I get that, but they want to bunker up. This is not the time to do that. My friends, we were created for this time. We were created specifically for this time to step out with boldness. We need to be about that. Revelation will help us see that. So let's get into it. Revelation 1, 1 through 5. I'm going to read that. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Check this out. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Amen. If you're taking notes today, the book of Revelation is 
three things. Three things. The first thing is it's simply a letter from John to the seven churches in Asia. Just like Paul wrote letters to the city of Corinth, we have First and Second Corinthians, right? The, this is a letter to the churches, the seven churches in Asia. Why is that important? Well, it was written to a specific group of people living at a specific time in a specific place. That means that revelation cannot mean to us something that it did not mean to them. Okay? Revelation cannot mean something to us that it doesn't mean to them. We can't make it fit us. We can't make it a fit America, all right? We tend to think about the Bible. We tend to think about what we read in terms of America, and we are God's people, right? This was written for us because it was written for every believer, right? But it was not specifically written to us. We read everything in today's mindset and think about it, it relating just to us, and we read it in that context. So we need to understand the context, though, that it was written in, and, and be clear about that. It was written in about 96 A.D., all right, at a time where there were three decades of intense persecution going on, 30 years of intense persecution. If you study the history of the church, you will see the, the history of the church show, man, the church hit the ground running, you read the book of Acts, and you'll read, oh, this day 5,000 people came into the church. This day 8,000 people came into the church. This day 10,000 people. The Lord was adding to their number daily, right? The amount of people coming to the faith. The church is booming. And then all of a sudden, trouble strikes. You have, you have Paul leading these, these uh, missionary adventures and the church starting all over, but you see that persecution coming before he does that from the religious leaders. And then in 65 AD, the government gets involved. And the government starts to come against the church. The first emperor that really did this was Nero. He launches this right first wave of intense persecution before the church is dealing with the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, and now they have to deal with the full force of the Roman Empire the Roman government. How does the church respond? It rallies. It prays. It continues to serve the poor, continues to walk in power, sharing the gospel, and people continue to come to the faith. They keep doing what they're called to do. All the while, Nero is killing them. Some examples of that. Nero has Christians mauled by dogs. He used to sew these large animal skins around people so that just their heads and their hands and their feet were exposed. And then he would sick a pack of wild dogs on these Christians and just let them get mauled. He would crucify them. He would burn them. He had a garden. And late at night, he would dip people in wax and oil and light them on fire and use them as human torches. This is what the church is dealing with. We think we're persecuted? Seriously? We don't know what persecution is. We don't. Not in a biblical sense, like what these people were dealing with. We have some hits to our liberty, right? We take some hits. But we don't know real persecution in a biblical sense. If that's not bad enough, Paul and Peter are executed. These are the two heavy hitters in the church, right? The apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle to the church. They're executed. Shortly after that, Thomas is executed. Shortly after that, the, the temple is destroyed by Rome. Jerusalem's destroyed by Rome. This might have been the darkest time in the history of the church. Right? And it doesn't get better real quick after that. Emperor Domitian takes over uh, uh, two emperors later. He takes power and he orders all the citizens of Rome to worship him as God. That's what we were called to do. He has a temple that's erected to him. And if you had the means, you were expected once a year to make a pilgrimage 
to offer incense and declare that he was Lord. We talked about the mark of the beast, right? And I told you I'd give an example. The only way that you could buy and sell in the, in the, in the area of this where the temple was was if you put on this, this ash mark on your hand or on your forehead. And that was a declaration that Domitian was Lord. The only way you could buy and sell was if you said the emperor Domitian was Lord. My friends, that's an example of the mark of the beast. It will be clear. It will be crystal clear when you are given the chance to take it or not. You won't wonder, am I taking the mark of the beast? It will be clear. You will have to deny Christ in what you do. What do you think the church did? Oh, heck no, right? You are not Lord, Domitian. And of course, this angered him. And let's just say it got ugly. Persecution ranked, ramped up. The people thought Christians were atheists. I find that kind of funny. The, Christ, the people thought, Emperor Domitian thought Christians were atheists because they only worshipped one God. They refused to worship all the Roman gods. They refused to worship the emperor. So Domitian sets up these laws primarily aimed to, aimed to ruin Christians he had some kills. He put these laws into place. One of these laws said that if a Christian was brought under any charge in front of any tribunal, if that Christian would not renounce his faith, he automatically got the harshest punishment for that crime. This is what the church was dealing with. This is the government that the church was dealing with. Could you imagine dealing with that? Half of us were ticked off about the mass, right? We were pretty ticked off just about that. Could you imagine dealing with this, though? What we need to realize is that Revelation is being written to churches that are under immense persecution. And that helps us understand the point of this book. I said it's meant to give us hope. It's meant to give us courage to face that. Two things that we need today in our society. Think about this. How tempting would it have been to enjoy the pleasures of Rome, right? The peace of Rome. The wealth of Rome. The sensuality of Rome. The opportunities of Rome. The pressure. The pressure that the people of God must have been under to just quit resisting. And just go with the flow. Even if you just fake it, right? I'll, I'll just fake it and pretend that I'm for Domitian and I'll just hide the fact that I'm a Christian. Why risk being lit on fire? Just embrace it and enjoy all the pleasures of Rome. That pressure to forsake Christ must have been overwhelming. Could you imagine being a younger person who has grown up in this, and that's all that you know. You never got to see the 30 good years with the church when it was booming, and God was just blessing everything, and it seemed like everything was going in your favor. Can you imagine never experiencing that and only growing up in a time of persecution for the church? How are people coming to the faith during this time? Would you? Yeah, you want to accept Jesus Christ as Lord? It's going to cost you everything, possibly your life. You want to do that? It's not a good marketing pitch, right? How does the church grow during this, let alone survive? To be a Christian at this time was to put your life, not only your life, but your family's life on the line. To, to, to follow Jesus was to realize that you are going to be poor forever. You are going to be locked out of the economic System, No good jobs for you. You're going to be hounded. You're going to be marginalized. You're going to be misrepresented. You're going to be mistreated. And there is no hope of justice in an earthly sense. You could be killed. Your family could be killed. And there's nothing that you could do. You think you're persecuted today? We're not. We're not. Would you follow Jesus back then? Man. You'd have to be willing to, to lay down everything, to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. 
And guess what? That's what he calls us to do today, isn't it? To pick up our cross and follow him. Revelation is a letter, and this is who it's written to. Let's keep this in mind as we're going through it. It's not just a letter, though, right? It's also prophecy. Prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy. I'm being blessed. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. You can be blessed if you take to heart what is written in it. Now, the heart of, of biblically, biblical prophecy is a, is a category that's not so much about thinking about the future, but instead focusing in on what is God saying to us right now. What is the word from God? That's what prophecy is really about. So we, we read prophetic genres in Scripture. Um, we don't want to just focus in on the future. And those, those things, we want to focus in on what is God communicating to us right now, right here and now. People just want to read and are fascinated with the book of Revelation to look at the future. But let's not miss what God is telling us right now. All right? Now, we're Westerners, so we think in linear methods. We, we think of this builds on this, which builds on this which builds on this. That's how we think as Westerners. Revelation, though, cannot be read in that manner. It's just totally different. Instead, Revelation, I want you to think of this as Revelation is a, is a series of windows. All right? You're looking through one window over here, and then all of a sudden you look through this other window here, and there might be 90 years of difference there. 90 years has passed in time. Maybe you're going back in time or forward in time. You have to think about windows. So we don't want to think about when we're reading this, what happens next? We want to think about what does God show John next? All right. There's a little bit of difference and it'll help us understand it. When you study Revelation, and I hope you do, I hope you're in this and I hope you're reading this. When you hear things like John saying, I turned and saw That means he was looking at one thing, and then he turned and looked at something else, and that could be something completely different. So just keep that in mind as you're going through this. God might be showing him a completely different window. Let me give you an example of this. Revelation 12, 1 through 4. Revelation 12, 1 through 4. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain, as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. What is this a picture of? This is a wildly different picture of Christmas morning, right? I'm used to singing silent night, holy night, all is calm, and everything like that, right? No, no, no. Revelation 12 shows something totally different. John gets a window. Get this, 90 years into the past from where he's at. If it's written in 96 A.D., 90-some years into the past, he sees a scene where there is a woman crying and there is a dragon waiting to devour the baby. You, you go two chapters later in, into 14 and you see this dragon is destroyed as he pursues the offspring of the woman. Who are the offspring of the woman? They're the church, right? So we start Revelation in the present, then we go 90 years back in time, and then we go to the end of time and we see what happens. We get a picture of that. It's not linear. It doesn't build on that. And we have to understand that it's looking through windows. That's what prophecy is. So Revelation is a letter. It's also prophecy. The third thing is it's also apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature. Revelation 1.1 says that this is a revelation. The word for revelation in the Greek is apocalypsis. It simply means an unveiling or disclosure, an unveiling or disclosure. So the purpose of the book of Revelation is to unveil to the churches in Asia and to us 
the things that are going on behind the scenes, the things that we can't see, right? We get a view behind the veil of what's going on. A pocket literature uses a lot of imagery that seems strange to us. We're not heavy imagery people. We are fact people. Just give us the fact, right? And that's why Revelation is a little bit weird to us and hard for us to buy. So we need to realize some things as we're going through this. We have to need to realize that people are usually not people, right? Sometimes animals or beings can represent people or nations. Historical events are represented by natural disasters or phenomenon like earthquakes and floods and battles. Colors and numbers all mean something. So we need to, to realize that. Why? So why is this heavy imagery used? Why is it portrayed this way. We see this in Ezekiel. We see this in Daniel. We see this in parts of Isaiah, Zechariah, Joel. They are all full of imagery. Why? Why does God do this or choose to do this? Imagery is not just meant to teach us. It's meant to grab a hold of us. All right? It's meant to, to ignite our spirits inside of us. Daryl Johnson has a book Discipleship on the Edge. Here's a quote from it. I think it sums it up perfectly. Imagery has the power to hook us deep inside. Images can quickly and effectively convey that which we struggle to put into words. Imagery goes beyond the intellect and through the emotions into the imagination, grabbing hold of us at the deepest recesses of our being. In turn, that informs the intellect and ignites the emotion. What stirs up your heart more, right? What stirs up your heart more? Mary heard from an angel that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she'd, she'd bear a child and Jesus was born in the stable in Bethlehem that they traveled to and there was no room for them in the inn and the shepherds came and, and, and worshiped Jesus and, and um, that's a good story, right? Compare that though to what we just read. Man, there's a great war in heaven the dragon waited to devour the woman and devour her offspring and to make war against the lamb and his people. But God protected the lamb. God protected his people, drove the beast into the wilderness and defeated the dragon. One is nice. One is like Lord of the Rings epic though, right? It should grab a hold of us. Don't be surprised next Christmas if there is a dragon up on the stage and we're, we're preaching this text, all right? There's a war going on, though. There's a war going on in heaven during the Christmas message. The veil is torn. The veil is pulled back, right? Revelation reveals things to us. It reminds us that there's a war going on. We need to be reminded that there's a war going on, Right? These images should provoke our spirit. We should be ready to grab a sword and get to it. There's a dragon trying to destroy my family. Isn't that what the enemy is doing? We, we portray Lucifer as this good-looking guy on TV. Here's the truth. He hates you. He hates every part of you. He wants you to be confused about who you are. Right? Right? We have people that are confused about their gender today because they listen to the lie of the enemy. And we need to tell them, no, you are created perfectly as you are supposed to be, right? And we need to speak the love with truth to them because they are hurting, they are confused, but we need to speak the truth to them. We cannot let the enemy keep speaking into their lives and confusing them. If ever there was a time where the church was asleep and we needed to get provoked, it is right now. We need to wake up. We need to realize there is a war going on. The enemy is kicking our butts. Look around. The enemy is kicking our butts. I'm tired of seeing marriages destroyed. I'm tired of, of kids being filled with anxiety today. I'm tired of seeing people trapped to drugs and to porn. I'm tired of seeing people commit suicide. How many people are committing suicide today? 
I'm tired of seeing us fighting each other over stupid things like masks. I'm tired of seeing Christians not care about people that are going to hell. And I'm speaking to myself. Do I have a burden for the lost? Is church a safe place where we could admit, man, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with porn. I'm struggling with alcohol. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling with thoughts of anxiety and depression. It should be a safe place in here. We should be lifting each other up, but we don't. We should, be, we should care about the people who are out there who don't know Christ who are trapped in bondage to this enemy. There is a dragon making a war against us, and we are either too busy or too scared to get into the fight. That has to change. Apocalyptic literature is truth in a way that gets a hold of us in our guts. There's a, there's a reason that we're getting our butts handed to us, our tails handed to us today. And it's not because we don't have enough Bibles. It's not because we don't have the right Bible translation. It's not because we can't agree over denominations and we just fight all the time because of stupid little things that really don't matter. Because of some secondary biblical issue. No, it's because there is a very real enemy and we don't even realize that there's a war going on. That enemy is constantly trying to destroy us, constantly trying to distract us, constantly trying to deceive us, constantly trying to cost us our hope, our joy in Jesus, and we don't even know we're in a war. Revelation pulls the curtain back and shows us who our real enemy is and what's going on. We're focused on the enemy being the other side of the political party. Right? We think the other side's our enemy, and that's what we focus on. Politics are super important. We need to be involved in politics. We need to fight. We need to speak truth. We need to do it with grace. Right? But here's the thing. Here's, here's in America what's happening with politics. All right? Today, we see the other side as our enemy, and we hate them. We are to that point that where we cannot stand them the other side. And if that's you, you need to be very careful about this. Think about this. To the people that Revelation was written to, who was their enemy? Was it Rome? Was it the Romans? They're the one persecuting them, right? It would have been very easy. If that's me, that would have been very easy to see them as the enemy. It would be very easy to hate them to focus in on it, to wish bad things. Lord, destroy them all, right? That's what I'd be praying. Destroy all those Romans. And that's not what happens. The people in the church share the good news with the Romans. And hearts begin to change. People begin to come to know Christ Man, the Romans become the biggest group of people, the biggest group of Christians that come to know Christ over the next years. And that's how the gospel spreads. That doesn't happen if Christians hate Romans. How is our country going to get better? It doesn't happen if we hate other people groups, other political parties. Man, you want to you see America turn around and go in the right direction? Share the good news with them. Share the gospel with them, right? Help them to get under that bondage. There's a lot of bondage. There's a lot of the enemy is using politics and everything in a, in a crazy way, right? God can set people free of that on both sides. We see a certain group or even individuals as our enemy, we've, we've lost. We will be unable to share Jesus Christ with those people. Did Jesus not call us to love our enemies? He 
did, right? Even the Romans? Even Domitian? Even Nero? Instead of hating people, if we can see them trapped in bondage and realize that they need to be set free by Jesus Christ, that's when we can start sharing the truth with them. We need the veil pulled back so we can see what's really going on. We need the veil pulled back so that we can realize that God is not panicking right now. Right? Just like he's not panicking back then. Just like he's not panicking in the future. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that he wins, right? We should know that too. The Trinity is not sweating. God the Father is not saying, oh man, we've lost America. What are we going to do now? Jesus isn't saying, man, if we could just get rid of California, we could turn the tide back. I'm going to be honest, I prayed that, right? Nah. God wants us to see that this is our time. We were built for this. We are salt and light for a world that is going to hell. Let us burn brightly, right? We serve the King of glory. The text calls him the King of kings, the Lord of lords. There's no panic in the Trinity. I know it's tempting to feel dismayed when things start happening, when you see the way that this country... I cannot imagine how many days I've said, I cannot believe this is happening, and it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. But I have hope in Jesus Christ. I realize I am called by Jesus Christ to serve this nation, to serve this community, to love people and to share the good news. After the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, we read that there's about 500 believers around. He reveals himself to those people. They become emboldened. They get to touch him. They get to feel him. They get to eat with him, right? And at his ascension, there's, there's 500 people around. Those 500 people, we said, enjoy 30 years of peace. Then they endure about 40 years of some of the most intense, brutal persecution imaginable. And the church grows during both times. Grows so much that by 351 AD, there are 350 million Christians in Rome in their territory who called Jesus as Lord. 51% of the Roman Empire calls Jesus Lord. I know we might be feeling some groaning in our spirit. The early church must have been feeling this, but I hope we are emboldened by the book of Revelation, the letter of Revelation, and who it was written to a group of people under immense, intense persecution and stress, and yet they were light in the darkness. You know what's cool when I, when I look at this, when I notice the early church? The early church was wild. It was messy. It was frustrating. Like I read Paul's letters to the churches, and there are some messed up things going on in those churches. There are some crazy things going on in those churches. And you know what? God used them. God used them. Can we be reminded that it's not being about pretty, it's not being about shiny, it's about being willing to be used by God. I, t- I told the very first church board after I was named pastor, I said, Ministry is messy. It's going to be messy, right? And that's okay. I don't want to be a part of a, a really clean church where people hide what they're going through and don't share it, right? I don't want to be afraid to get dirty. I don't care if you got long hair. I don't care if you got no hair. I don't care if you got tattoos. I don't care if you wear jeans. I don't care if you wear sandals. I don't care if you wear shorts. That stuff doesn't matter. What I care is, are we obedient?
to what God calls us to do? Are we obedient? Man, just give me brothers and sisters that are so amazed by Christ's love that they want to share that with everybody. That's who I want to be a part of a church with. I just want to reach people. I want to, I want to be focused in on doing what he calls us to do. I think we are ripe to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit if we'll do that. If each and every one of us will do that. No matter what comes against us. No matter if the government comes against us. No matter what. If we're obedient. I don't think things will get necessarily better politically or economically, or with our rights, I'm saying they'll get better because we'll build the kingdom of God regardless. And people will come to know our Lord and Savior. I am desperate for that to happen. I'm desperate for us to wake up. I'm desperate to wake up and focus in on what's really important. What about you? Man, that that first century church was willing to face persecution. Why did they keep on doing what they did? Why did they risk their lives? This is what's going on in my head. Why were they willing to do all of that, to face all of that? Why Why were they willing to love the Romans? It's in this passage. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Listen to this. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Would you stand with me? Why were they willing to do this? Because they owed everything to Jesus. And that's what Jesus modeled, right? Jesus wanted to be, the people wanted to be like their Savior. They wanted to be like Him. Man, I owe everything to God. I owe everything to what Jesus did on that cross. Everything. Without Christ, I am nothing. There is no purpose for my life. There is no hope. That's everything. Why were they willing to do that? Because they realized that. They got a hold of that. And that became the most important thing in their lives. Jesus is not something you add to your life. Jesus is your life. Too many Christians... And our society just want to add them on Sunday, just want to add them in the little things. No, he's got to be your life. He's got to be everything. I hope you come back as we go through Revelation. I hope we all are inspired. I hope we all get to the point where we want to strap on a sword, right, and get in the fight. I hope we're all obedient to what he calls us to do through the word through his word, through the Holy Spirit. I hope we don't cower back. I hope we don't feel like we got to bunker up, right? I hope we step out and be salt and light and do what he calls us to do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, here we are. What would you have us do? Lord, give us opportunities this very week to be faithful, to speak the truth, Help us to do it with a whole lot of grace. Lord, give us opportunities to share the good news to somebody that doesn't know it. Lord, help us to be in your word, studying it, reading it, and applying it to our lives. Not to just check something off the list, Lord, but to have it change us, to have it show us our path that we need to go. Father, use us. Father, I pray that if the enemy is speaking a lie to anyone in here, that it would be silenced, Lord. I pray if there's anybody who's confused about who they are, I pray that you would show them who they are in you. Father, help us 
Help this place to be a place of grace, but a place of truth. Help us not to be focused in on bringing people in here, but instead going out there in this dark world. Lord, use us. Father, we just ask this in your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.